Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. As we get going, I want to ask you a question. What is the most memorable trip you have been on? Oh, that's hard to say. But I think I would pick Alaska. We went on an Alaskan cruise with my family about a year and a half after we were married. It was amazing. And we just watched the beauty of the mountains as we floated by them. And they, we went from south to north, so they just kept growing bigger and more magnificent as we went. And then we heard glaciers popping and chunks of it falling into the ocean. We had an incredible train ride where we saw a little bear up a tree saw some dog sleds, and then the whale watching was my absolute favorite. How about you? It's hard to say for me, but I would say I think it was our honeymoon. Every couple has dreams of this wonderful, grandiose honeymoon, you know, maybe on a beach or at a resort. Great food, incredible time where you'd never want to leave and go back to the real world. Well, that wasn't ours. (laughs) Ours was horrible. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. I thought maybe you'd blacked it out by now, but... <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> Our honeymoon was a series of unfortunate events. Let me set the scene for everyone. We were pulling a camper with my SUV, and we were headed to a resort in the Poconos for one week and to the White Mountains in New Hampshire for the upcoming week. The issue started on day one when our car started having issues. It was over 100 degrees with record heat. The AC stopped working. And periodically, when we stopped for gas, we didn't know if the car would restart or not. It was just this quite a trip for even getting to our destination. When we finally arrived at the resort, it had missed its prime probably by about 40 years, I'd mm-hmm. say. And that was just the beginning. By the time we are both coming home, sitting there in our, our truck with no AC, <laughs> we were both sitting in silence and... I think we were probably both wondering, why did we get married? We still lovingly refer to this honeymoon as the honeymoon from hell. But it's really hard for me to admit this. I wouldn't trade that honeymoon for one of those beachside resorts now looking back. I would. Oh, my (laughs) word. I would in a heartbeat. (laughs) Well, I I can't blame you. Uh, (laughs) It was actually... So much better for us than a typical honeymoon. You've got you've got to admit this. <laughs> this is true. It helped us prepare for marriage and is way more effective than any premarital counseling could have been. For sure. However, I still cringe when somebody compares a trip that we're about to go on to having a second honeymoon. Someday we may have to do an entire episode on our honeymoon and just, just for laughs. Oh, that would be fun. Well, you may be wondering what this has to do with today's episode. Sandra Peoples is on our episode today. She does an excellent job guiding us through the journey that is unique to parents of children impacted by disability. Sarah, as we get started, how about you introduce her to our audience? Sure. Sandra Peoples is the first author I ever knew of in the field of special needs and disability. I saw her book held, a Bible study, and that was my introduction. Little did I know that several years later, I would actually get to meet her in person and get to know her, develop a connection and relationship, and it has been a delight. She is just as sweet and genuine in person as she is in her books. 
She also has recently published Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. She is the executive editor and social media manager for Key Ministry. She's both a special needs sibling and a special needs parent, giving her a very unique perspective on how to support and encourage families who are impacted by disability and special needs. Sandra, welcome to the Hope New podcast. Uh, we are so glad to have you here. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad to join you today. As we open up, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my husband, Lee, is a pastor, and we live outside of Houston, Texas, so one of the few places that's warm all year <laughs> round. <laughs> We're in flip-flops today and don't even ever pack our flip-flops away. So, oh, man, that sounds um, nice. Yeah, we did live in Pennsylvania, so we are used to milder, more seasonal weather, but we do enjoy uh, the warm weather that we get now. And we have two boys. David is 13 and James is 11. And James has level three autism, uh, which means he needs significant support and he is functionally nonverbal. So there's some words he can say, but um, not conversationally. Both you and I enjoy reading and love books. Yes. So something I'm curious about is what are you reading right now? Okay, some really fun books. Um, in my Bible reading, I'm at the end of Genesis, which is the story of Joseph, which I always really love uh, because I feel like nothing went the way that he planned for it to go. and exactly. But it's still so obvious that God is working in yes. his life. And so um, Joseph is really one of my favorite Bible characters. That's one and of my favorites out, too. Yeah. yeah, it's he's so fun. Um, I mean, I wouldn't trade my life for his for sure, but <laughs> <laughs> I love the verse at the end, you know, where he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And I just love that that idea for all of us that that God is still working out good things, even when things are hard. Um, and then book-wise, I'm reading a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and I was on the wait list for it from the library for a long time, and um, it's one of those books that talks about setting, like, micro goals instead of big goals, oh. and then making good progress, and what I really like about what it's talking about now is that you make changes based on who you think you are, like your identity. And so like you and I are readers. And so we have the habit of reading because we value being readers. Whereas somebody else tells themselves, oh, I'm, I'm not a reader. So they're not making decisions that would make them be a reader. You know what I mean? So sure. oh, that sounds so that's good. been really interesting. Yeah. And then my book club is reading a biography of Mr. Rogers. So oh, fun. Um, yeah, I haven't jumped into it yet, but I've got it. That's next. So I'm excited to read it. Yeah, he's fascinating. I'll bet that'll be excellent. Yeah, I think it'll be. And there's like a documentary out about him too, but I haven't watched it. I, I always start with books before movies. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. I think I could see Sarah make a mental note of different books there in that list. That, that Exactly. He knows me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, book people are always looking for the next book they want to read. So it's so fun to share what we're reading. Yes. Now, the majority of our parents that are listening today are our parents of children impacted by disability. I know that you have your own unique journey in disability and special needs. Could you share a little bit about that with us? 
Sure. Yes. I became a member of a family with uh, a special needs family the day I was born because my older sister has Down syndrome and she's 14 months older than I am. So we're very close in age. And so we grew up doing lots of things together. And then we kind of reached a point where I kept developing and, and she, you know, like kind of slowed down. And so, um, from a very young age, I was aware of differences in people, differences in the way that we look and our ability level and cognitive abilities, conversation. You know, she has a little bit of a speech issue. And so S's are, are really hard for her. So instead of Sandra, I was Andra, you know, for years and years. And um, so that really uh, just you know, influenced a lot of things about my, the way that I grew up. And then we have a younger sister, Sarah, who's five years younger than I am. And so we grew up in a small town in Oklahoma where everybody knew us and lots of people knew me as Sybil's sister instead of even knowing me by my name. And so a little bit of my identity, even at that time was wrapped around who she is and then um, James was born in 2007, but diagnosed in 2010. And so that was a big surprise for us because um, I think when you're a disability sibling, a special needs sibling, you, you kind of feel like you have paid your dues. <laughs> and so then to have a, a child who will be um, who will rely on me for the rest of his life for his care and to have a sister who will rely on me um, when my she lives with my parents now but at some point she'll come be with us or she'll split time between us and our younger sister and so um, you know these are like lifelong changes and and big seismic shifts to the way that you thought your life was going to go and then then you realize that God had another plan and you have to kind of figure out um, how you fit in that and how your goals line up with this new calling that he has on your life. Yeah, those are huge. Thank you for sharing that with us. How has having a sister with Down syndrome shaped who you are today? Well, that's a great question to reflect on, um, to kind of just think back and think about the times when being her sister made a difference. Like I, I remember the first time that I heard somebody make fun of, of a person with disabilities, you know, they, you, we call it the R word, you know, and I'm sure your audience knows what I'm talking about. And, and I remember being on the playground and somebody making fun of people with disabilities. And, and like at that moment, I had a choice whether to just ignore it or to stand up for her and other people who couldn't stand up for themselves. And so I decided to say something and, you know, tell them that that wasn't okay. But, and, you know, and now, I mean, I had to be, you know, eight years old, 10 years old. So we're talking 30 years ago. And I still feel like I'm fighting that battle sure. <laughs> against that phrase or just people's demeaning attitudes towards others with disabilities. And so I feel like it kind of instilled in me um, the champion of the underdog, just standing up for people who may not be able to stand up for themselves and, and helping them realize their worth and value in a society that doesn't always assume worth and value for all of us. So I hope that that's how um, 
it's changed me. Like, I hope it's made me softer and kinder, but also with that little bit of an edge where I'm always kind of on the lookout to make sure that, that things are equal and fair for, for her and for James and for others who are like them. Yeah, that's, that's so neat. We can definitely see even with our son, how God's using this journey in his life and shaping him. Let's put on your, your champion hat here a little bit. (laughs) What do you want to offer to parents to support and encourage the typical kids in their family? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it is a big concern because we want our typical kids not to grow up resenting their siblings or resenting us mm-hmm. or the attention that the the sibling with disabilities has gets from us. And so I think it's a complex issue that a lot of us are concerned about. And so it's a great question to talk about. One of the things that I really focus on is um, not shaming David for how he feels. And he's 13 now. And so emotions are big (laughs) when you're 13. And then especially like getting embarrassed or things like, like those are stronger now than they were when he was seven or five or those early stages. But at every stage, I really just try to say that whatever he's feeling is okay in that moment. Like if he says, James is really embarrassing me. I don't want to immediately say, well, you know, that's, that's your fault, you know, or you need to, you know, he can't help it. So you need to just get over it or something that would make him feel even worse about the feeling that he's experiencing. And so I try to really affirm whatever that is in the moment and say, oh, you know, I know it's hard. I'm so sorry. And then maybe later that day, go back and and kind of say, well, I know you were embarrassed, but, you know, not everybody was looking at him like you thought they were or something that that's a little more reasonable, but at least in that moment to just say what you're feeling is okay and normal. And and I'm not going to make you suppress that or ignore that just to keep the peace in our, our family. Yeah. And how does he usually receive that then when you come back later? He does well. He just, because he's a super emotionally driven guy. Like my husband and I tend to be pretty stoic and even keel, but David is, he's into theater. Like that's his gift. (laughs) And so, you know, you have to have a wide range of emotions. And, and so he knows we've talked before about how sometimes feelings are not true. And so, um, you know, you could feel lots of things, but then you have to say, oh, is that really true in this situation or not? And so when we come back to, he's used to that pattern for us. We do it lots of other times where we say, man, I, I know you feel like James always gets his way, but remember when you needed this and we dropped everything and did it for you, you know? So just kind of that balance of, because 13 year olds, they're in their heads so much that they don't always get out of their heads to realize what's happening around them. And so I think it's a pretty good pattern we're into that it's normal for him. And so he receives it well. I can definitely relate to that. We've seen that in our own son's life. Yeah, because our sons are the same ages, 11 and 13, with the 11-year-old being the one uh, with extra challenges. And so, yeah, what you're saying all rings so true. Yeah. Okay, your most recent book, Unexpected Blessings, walks us through the phases many parents of kids with disabilities go through. 
And I found those very intriguing and enlightening. So could you go ahead and share with us what those phases are and just a little bit about what each one looks like? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'll list all five of them and then I'll come back and we'll talk through them Great. Um, because they all start with R's. So, so the first one is recognize plan B. The second one is recover and rebuild rhythms. The third one, reinforce your faith foundation. The fourth one is renew relationships. And then the fifth one is reach out. So the first one, recognize plan B. And we've kind of already talked about that in our own experiences and, and how you get a diagnosis for your child. Um, and then you have to realize that the plans that you had aren't going to happen for your family the way you thought they were. And that that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's just a different thing. But, you know, you guys are so great at supporting parents in this stage because they are grieving and they are um, not sure what's next. And so um, that one leads right into recovering and rebuilding rhythms. And that's where you really focus on the cycles of grief, chronic grief, which you guys are a great support for people dealing with that. And then rhythms of self-care, um, kind of, you know, like for mm -hmm. us and our family, James is very much like a toddler, even though he's 11. And so, you know, I, like I can never take my eyes off of him. And that's a long season to be in. And so I have to put some things in our house on autopilot so that he has my full attention when he's home. So that means little things like making a menu plan at the beginning of the week to where when everybody's home and off the bus and in my face, then I can say, oh, this is what we're having for dinner because I already decided that on Sunday night. Mm. And so that kind of phase two, hopefully parents are taking care of themselves and then finding ways to take care of their families. And then phase three is uh, reinforcing the faith foundation. And I think that is where we, um, like for me personally, there were some things that I struggled with um, thinking that God had, that, that it was a punishment or that he had, uh, was trying to teach me a lesson, <laughs> you know, and, the, and as soon as I learned the lesson, everything would get easier. And so I had to to really get to know God in a different way and know that he wasn't punitive and that he wasn't looking to punish me, that this was part of his plan for our family. And so there are some passages that I really look to, like John chapter 9 um, and then Exodus 4, where it, God is talking to Moses and he tells Moses, who makes man mute or blind? I do that. It's for my purpose. And so those passages were helpful to me to kind of rebuild a theology of disability. And then the fourth one is renewing relationships. Um, as you guys know, relationships change when you have a child with a disability. And so the way that grandparents are able to help or not help could change. And the way friendships evolve can change. Like, you know, J David's 13. And so a lot of his peers are his age, and so if we invite them over to the house and invite families over, we still have to keep an eye on James because even though he's 11, he's still like a toddler. And so that changes the relationships with other people who are our age because we have a child who seems so much younger. And then the fifth one, which um, is my favorite, but I, but I think some parents get 
stuck in some of the other phases. And that's mm. part of the message of the book is to gently guide people from phase to phase to phase, mm. because the fifth one is reaching out. And that's when you stop being a victim and you really become an advocate for your family and mm. other families. And so that could be in your school system, or that could be insurance reform, or like for my family, we focus a lot on um, inclusion in churches. That's kind of our calling since my husband is a pastor. And so I think that there's a purpose. God has a purpose for all of us. And so that fifth stage is when we are able to um, kind of look beyond our immediate family and see what other families we can serve. What What would you say are the most common phases for families to get stuck in? Um. I think, and you know, I think you guys see this because these are, are some of the families that you um, are so intentional and so gifted at serving is that those those cycles of grief and that chronic grief is so hard to move through. And it's so hard for you and your spouse to move through them at the same time. Mm. Um, and so there's there's some people who just are still so hurt, so deeply hurt that they are unable to see God as a good God or their circumstance as a good circumstance. And so they have to be so gentle with themselves and we have to be gentle with them too and not force them to to jump ahead. Like the website that you and I both write for, Key Ministry for Families, one of our ideas is that we never shame parents Mm -hmm. for the feelings that they're having at the time. And so we never say you should be over this by now, or you can't keep acting that way. (laughs) We just, we try to meet them where they are and then gently guide them. Um, Because the first, you know, the main way to, for somebody to dig their heels in is to say, you're doing this wrong, or you shouldn't be feeling that. Well, that compounds the pain that they feel. It doesn't alleviate it. So that's where I see the families that that I serve and see, that's kind of where they get. And that can go, I mean, you know, I, I know parents of kids with disabilities who are in their 20s, and they're still so very bitter. Mm. Um, and it's hard to see, you know, and it's hard to know how to help them. But just kind of going back and focusing on seeing God rightly and seeing his plan for us as a good plan is is what helps. Yeah, I think... I love how you said that. And I remember being in the midst of all the hard and the pain and the hurt and feeling betrayed by God and all those things. And it took me so long to work through those things. And yet I would look at other parents who were, you know, a lot further in the journey and be, and I did, couldn't even relate. I, I couldn't even begin to fathom how they could have such a positive attitude and such a positive <laughs> outlook and be helping right. others. So I love how you've outlined those stages and exactly what you said. Like, it doesn't help to criticize someone for where they're at because that's where they're genuinely at. And yeah. you can't just wish yourself out of that place. You have to right. work through what has you there. And yeah. answer all those questions so that you can legitimately move to the next part. And it's just all a process. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. yeah. I also really appreciate how you mentioned spouses can be at different spots. You tend to think, okay, we started this journey at the same point. And so we should go through the phases at the same time frame. 
And yeah. it just doesn't work that way. We're, mm-hmm. we're each individual and in how we process and how we're working through it and different things affect us differently. Real quick, can you share how did you and Lee support each other when you were at different points in these phases in your journey? Well, there's ways that we didn't do it well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember because for us, like because I was with James full time at home, I noticed some of the ways that he was losing skills between when he turned two and then when we got the autism diagnosis. So to me, when we got the autism diagnosis, it was like the answer we had been looking for. But to Lee, it was like a death sentence, not in a way, you know, because he was still trying, he was still hoping that everything was going to be easy. Uh, Whereas I was like, oh, okay, now we have a label and now we can get help and now we can move on. And so I moved into like warrior mom mode much sooner than he moved into, you know, warrior dad mode. And um, really what helped us was he read a book by Rodney Pete, who was a, he's a former NFL player and he's married to Holly Robinson Pete. um, And they have a child with autism. And so it's a book by him. And it talks about when they got their son's diagnosis, he like started going to the bars and that was his release. And he was hiding from what was happening with his family. And so finally the wife said, look, you need to get on board or you need to get out essentially. And so he got on board. And so it was really kind of that testimony of another autism dad that, that drew Lee back into accepting what was going on with us and then working as a team to move forward. And now, and you know, this was in 2010. And so this was years ago. And so there's other books out there for dads now that are from a Christian perspective that I know would be a huge blessing to dads who are in a situation like we were in. When Jordan was so sick and nothing seemed to be going our way, I had a phrase that I would repeat over and over to myself, and that was, I walk by faith and not by sight. And you had a phrase that you repeated to yourself, God loves me and God loves James. So can you tell me about that and why that was meaningful to you and how it helped you? Yes. And we've hit on it a little bit, just this idea that I felt like this diagnosis was a punishment for us because I had tried really hard to live a life that would be pleasing to God. And so I was very active in my church and then I went to a Baptist college and then I went to seminary and I married a pastor. (laughs) Like I thought if there's a, a right way to do things, I want to do things the the rightest way, (laughs) you know? And so when this happened, I thought, well, that that's not what I signed up for. You know, like Mm -hmm. I followed the rules and I expect that you will give me two sweet boys that can sit on the front pew with me every Sunday in their matching outfits <laughs> and be just so cute, you, you know? Exactly. And so, um, so that's why I had to keep saying God loves me and God loves James because I, I didn't want it to feel like a punishment or I didn't want it to feel like I had done something wrong or he, or even worse that I had done something wrong and he was using James and his struggles to teach me something, you know, like that didn't feel fair. Like don't make my son suffer in order for me to just become a kinder person or like, you know, whatever kind of goal I thought that God might have in that. And, you know, it really kind of, I think it's a little bit of the prosperity gospel message creeping in 
because we're in this Western American context where success and beauty and all these things are highly valued. And so we think we start thinking that we deserve those instead of thinking that they're gifts. And um, so it, it took a while <laughs> to, to keep telling myself, God loves me, God loves James. And, and this is a good thing. Like the, the book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so I had to say, well, this autism diagnosis is from God. He has allowed it or ordained it, and therefore it must be for our good. And so I had to change it from feeling like a punishment to understanding that that somehow God would use it for his good. Yes, I love that. And our stories so parallel each other there because, I mean, very similar story in our history. And Exactly as you said, I lived my life in the rightest way I knew how to please him. <laughs> and then to have a child with so many difficulties. And I never felt like it was a punishment from God, but I did feel like I totally didn't understand and I didn't know what was going on. And maybe it was a lesson I had to learn or this or that, or like it just threw me for a huge loop. And I just didn't get it. And I didn't understand it. And he had given us this great mission of Bible translation and all these things. And now I couldn't even participate in that. And Right. So, yeah, I walk by faith and not by sight just became my phrase because I didn't get it. But I knew I had to just keep walking by faith, even though I didn't get it. And at some point, I'd probably start to get some of it. Right. I love that. We had different phrases and both of them are so beautiful. Going back to the last question, where you said that book helped your husband see a, a different side to the journey or helped him see, you know, where he could move to. Right. And the importance of not isolating ourselves and finding people we can talk to who do get it. Yes. Um, so important. Yeah, that just stood out to me so much in what you said. Because it's so easy to withdraw into ourselves and try to deal with it by ourselves and not really open up and share those struggles. And yet yeah. it's so critical to helping us process things and move on. In our journey, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hard. In the opening of our podcast, we shared that we believe that there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. This is something that we've seen personally and we've experienced with a lot of other families as well. Can you share with us some of the beauty you've seen in your journey and some of the purpose that you've seen emerge from the pain? Yes. I'm reminded of something that happened at Christmas a few months ago, and James likes to get the same gifts over and over. And so, like, Mm -hmm. he has one gift that he opens every time. And so, you know, after Christmas and everybody's opening gifts and Lee and I are just sitting around kind of reflecting. And so we're like, well, you know, James got all toddler gifts again this year. He got trains, he got cars, he got blues clues things. And, and, and that can bring some sadness, you know, that for your, to see your 11 year old still want toys that three and four year olds play with. And so we were just kind of reflecting on that and, and talking about how hard that is. And I said, yeah, but all David wanted was gift cards. (laughs) Like that's not (laughs) fun to open. And so at least we have you know, like James gets so much joy when he opens those gifts. And so, you know, on the one hand, like you're talking about the pain of, man, like he, he can't experience toys that are 
more appropriate for kids his age. But on the other hand, he gets so much joy out of the gifts he does get in a different way than even David does because, you know, he's just thinking about the next video game or, or whatever he's going to get with his gift cards. And so, you know, there's so many moments that, that you see both, that you, you experience this pain, but that you still can find purpose in it. And so I really think that that's, there's lots of ways when I think about James being a, essentially a toddler for the last eight years, you know, that like, we're still changing diapers, we're still doing those things. But there's still we are getting stronger. Like, I don't feel like life is easier. But I do feel like we're, we're getting stronger, and we're able to see more joy in it each day. That's been a blessing. And then really, we talked about everybody kind of finding their purpose in that fifth stage of special needs parenting. And so for us, what has brought a lot of joy is seeing our church start a special needs ministry that that includes James and then reaches out to our whole community. And we saw that in our church in Pennsylvania, and now we're experiencing it with our church here in Texas. And so that's a huge blessing to us because we just think James was the, the catalyst for that. And think of how many families that's blessing because they are meeting his needs and then they're realizing they can meet even more families needs. And so on a, on a big scale, that's the, the purpose that I really see behind this pain. And that's what really keeps us going and moving forward. Knowing what you know now and being where you are on your journey, what would you say to yourself back like at the time of James's diagnosis or just beforehand? As you know, when you get an autism diagnosis, and it's true for other diagnoses as well, but you don't know what the future holds when your child is two or three. And so, you know, you see something like, maybe you're familiar with the movie Rain Man, and you yes. and that's your image of somebody with autism, or you watch like Big Bang Theory, and you think, okay, well, Sheldon is probably on the spectrum. So, so I could have a child who is genius level, like Sheldon, or I could have a child who's more like Raymond in Rain Man. And so when you're looking at your two or three-year-old, you don't know what's coming and you can kind of imagine a worst case scenario. And so I would tell myself, I don't have to know what's going to happen five or 10 or 20 years later. Like I just have to love James where he is each day and get us to the next day. I would take pressure off of myself to sign up for every therapy and reach every goal that we have to set. And, you know, there's all that pressure at the beginning to get all these things worked out, or you're going to lose your window of opportunity is <laughs> kind of the feeling that you get. Right. And so I put a lot of pressure on us and our family. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of money and we spent a lot of hours on the road and at different appointments and and all of that's helpful i'm not saying that i wouldn't do that again i would just take the pressure off of myself to think that i controlled all of his progress mm. and all of the milestones that he would reach like i i would just set back set back and watch that and enjoy it instead of pushing so hard to get to the next one i think those are such wise words and i would totally agree with that that resonates because that's exactly where I was too. I put so much pressure on myself and I'm thankful for all that we did. Right. But we'll enjoy where we're at today. Yeah. yeah. 
or enjoy That's might good. be the wrong word, but we'll, <laughs> we'll relax into what today has. Yeah. Yes. We will, we will trust in what today will bring. That's yeah. right. And not worry about all the tomorrows. Yes, for sure. Sandra, you have been such a blessing to us. I know Sarah and I have really been encouraged through our conversations with you through your book, Unexpected Blessings. Yeah, I know our audience would love to keep up with you and to continue following you, your journey, and and the resources that you provide. Where can they find you? I am at sandrapeoples.com. That's kind of the hub for everything. And Peoples is P-E-O-P-L-E-S, just like people with an S. And so that's the hub. And a few things that I have coming, one of the things that is releasing today, actually, uh, for families in the spring is a Bible study specifically for special needs moms and parents. And so the first, I'm going to release four a year. And so this seasonal one is a study on the fruit of the spirit. And so what I'm excited about is that for parents who may not be able to make it to church every week, or they just want to, to have a Bible study that speaks to them and their kind of ongoing situation that's different than like I think of some people when they say, oh, when they're in a season of suffering, they're looking for that solution to get out of it as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, but mm-hmm. families like mine and for yours, we're kind of in this for the long haul. And even if it doesn't feel like suffering, other people could see it that way. And so I think that having Bible studies that speak specifically to the things that we are facing is is helpful. So we feel like we're not alone. So this first one is releasing to Patreon, my Patreon supporters. And so that's just a way that people could sign up and for $5 a month, they get access to this Bible study. And then they also get access to weekly discussion about it. And then at the end of it, so it's a 10 week study, then I'll make it available on Kindle so people can download it from Amazon, but they'll miss out on the discussion each week on the Patreon page. So I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be really uh, beneficial. It's one lesson a week for nine weeks. And so it's just, it's not a huge time commitment. It's just kind of fits our schedule and what I think families like us really need. And then there's three more throughout the year. So there'll be Psalms from the life of David a study of the book of Philippians, and then a study of women in scripture. That will be great. Those will be incredible. I know they'll bless so many families. I know there are so many times when we were in the the hardest points, it was all we could do to go to church, even just for the, the music portion or just a little sliver. And to have a resource like this would have been invaluable. We will provide links to your Patreon site and other resources you, you provide. So, our listeners can go to our show notes and they can click on the links and find those. Great. Well, Sandra, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us and for talking and sharing your experience and wisdom and about your book. Yes, it's always fun talking to you guys. We have so much in common and and I'm praying that the listeners can learn from us as we learn from each other. 